to the Non-Technically Speaking Podcast. I am your host, Ivy Shu. Here, I interview leaders in tech with a non-technical background from established leading markets like Silicon Valley in Beijing to emerging markets like Nairobi and Jakarta. We explore what business and operations-minded leaders bring to tech companies and the impact that they're able to make. I may also pop in here to solo show and share some stories of my own. I hope that all this content inspires you to confidently develop your own impactful career as a non-technical leader in tech. Join the community of listeners and non-technical leaders by visiting nontechnicallyspeaking.com. You're listening to episode nine. This is actually the final episode where I interview leaders in Silicon Valley, at least for a while. This podcast is going international, starting with Karthik Vaidyana, previously the chief product officer at Gojek, and now the director of product at Indeed. And we're having him on this podcast in two weeks. Today, though, I am here with Albert Chan, the founder and mighty leader of Albert's List, which is a Facebook group with over 43,000 job seekers, tech professionals, coaches, and company sponsors. The community is one of the most active on Facebook and has helped me network and get a job myself all the way back in 2016. If you are looking for a job in SF, this is the place to be. As many of you listeners might know, I coach non-technicals how to break into tech because I've done it myself multiple times in different roles with little work experience. Myself and my clients have gotten offers from large companies like Google, Facebook, and Yelp, as well as smaller startups all around the world. Looking for a job is no longer about submitting resumes like casting a wide net and a one-day interview with a few members of the team. In this episode, Albert and I talk about how interviews are now like a video game where you have to fight up level by level. If you need help navigating this new age way of job search, I have a free masterclass that will walk you through my proven methodology and the mistakes you are making in your job search. You can sign up at www.ivyshu.co slash masterclass. The link is in the show notes and the next masterclass is actually on March 4th, which is in two days from the date of this podcast recording and launch. So there will be more. So you will either get based on the timing that you're listening to this podcast, access to a wait list or be able to sign up for my March 4th masterclass. Alternatively, you can join Albert's list group and his very valuable paid group for help. He'll talk about it in the episode. So with that, let's get this episode started. Hey, Albert, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Proud to be on the show. Happy to be here. So happy to have this like mystical human that manages the Albert's List community that I've been part of for the last four years now. It really helped me find a job myself back in like 2015, 2016. So to start, could you just start with telling us about yourself, your full-time job? I know Albert's List isn't your full-time work. How you grew Albert's List, just for those that aren't part of your community yet and don't know. Yeah, so Albert's List was founded March 5th, 2013. We're celebrating seven years in 2020. And uh, it's, uh, it really just grew organically over, uh, this, over this whole time. A lot of friends inviting other friends and just a lot of uh, the power of word of mouth. So a lot of, uh, a lot of job search organizations in the Bay Area have spread the word about it. And it's just become this overall resource that a lot of people use. 
And so, yeah, uh, you are, you're correct that Albert's List is not exactly the full-time job that I do every day. In addition to that, I'm also a uh, content slash product marketing uh, manager, primarily working at SaaS companies, cloud-based software. And so I've been also doing that for the last five years too. And so uh, both definitely feed into each other because it's all about creating content and creating content that drives interest and engagement. Yeah, tell us a bit more about how and why you even started Albert's List and the trajectory of its growth. Why is it different than a lot of other resources out there for job seekers? Yeah, so, you know, I'm one of those millennial job seekers that you hear so much about. I know that we're now in 2020, and so 2008 was a long time ago. Uh, But, you know, I I graduated from college in 2010, and the job market still wasn't very good then for new graduates. You had this, the whole leftover uh, competition that you got from the Great Recession, where you had people who were everyone from new grads to much older professionals applying for the same jobs. And so you ended up having this glut of jobs out there that were for people with a lot more experience. And so job hunting was a very tough experience for me early on out of school. And for the first couple of years, I, you know, did a lot of early job hunting. I admittedly was one of those millennials who did a lot of jumping. And I did a lot of jumping from contract to contract because I was really trying to figure out what it is that I was looking for in my life. And something always felt like it was missing. A community was always a little bit missing in regards to what I wanted. And so around late 2012, 2013, I started posting job listings to my own Facebook feed and realized that there was probably some kind of market for this because people would interact and they would be appreciative of these opportunities. And one day I decided to start a group because I felt like perhaps making something a little bit more exclusive uh, would have been a lot better. So when, when I created this group, it was really with this intention of knowing that I don't want other people to go through what I go through, which is just really tough job searches, Uh, especially new grads. And I think it's always heartbreaking to hear about that new grad who's been out of school for more than six months and they've been job hunting for more than six months and they're not sure what to do. And a lot of things I realize is that job hunting is job hunting is this thing that you never learn about in school people tell you to form your resume they tell you that you got to learn how to somehow interview but they don't tell you all the little intricacies between that whether it's negotiation understanding what's at stake for each of the individuals that you interview with when you're on that interview and so i think that directly uh, that directly feeds into what makes Albert's List unique. Uh, we have a community that brings together uh, more than a thousand recruiters, lots of job seekers, lots of hiring managers, and just people who just want to be out there to help people. There's, I think, one of the defining characteristics of our community is a sense of altruism, where uh, where you where you have these people who are willing to offer advice, offer support. Because I think for a lot of people who join this community, they've been in everyone else's shoes. And one of the primary things that we hear from people who have uh, enjoyed a success story off this community is that they don't feel alone anymore. And job hunting can be very isolating. And I believe that we also differentiate ourselves by taking the loneliness out of job hunting. Yeah, because there's such a high volume of people going in there. And you really take the time to post a lot of openings to make it seem like that there's so many opportunities out there for people, right? 
I think, yeah, number one, it's this mindset of abundance where it's like you can log into the group every day and there are job postings that come out so often that you feel like maybe the economy or maybe your own personal job search isn't as bad as you think it is. And, and I think number two is you have, uh, yeah, you have this sense of community in there and, uh, and you're able to move on with your day without feeling like you're going to have to do it all alone. So I know that Albert's List is launching a paid program, maybe a paid group, as well as paid for events. What is in your paid programs, whether it's the group or the events, that people wouldn't otherwise be able to get from your free group? Yeah, so I think when it comes to job searching, we've discovered that there are a couple types of personas or people who come into the group and uh, end up on Albert's list. And we, the four types are people who are, who feel alone in their career and they either know or don't know what they want. And they're trying to find a community, any community that they can be a part of. Our second persona is somebody who is uh, who knows what they want. They have found their community, or they're looking to make a transition, and they're looking for support in that. And then our third, third and fourth persona are people who are looking to mentor others, looking to offer their own advice and their own experience, and then also individuals who are leaders in their career and looking to offer advice from a scaled up point of view and offer just a lot more of an ability to come out and uh, share with people what they know and what they've learned over the years. And so the way we, the way we have, uh, the way we've monetized is through two ways. First is through events. And so we host a variety of events on a monthly basis up and down the San Francisco Bay Area from San Francisco out to San Jose. So our topics range in anything from women in networking to workshops on how to find what you're worth in the market. And so each of these kinds of events, uh, you're gonna come, you're gonna meet an intimate group of people or a slightly larger gathering. And we all know how important uh, face-to-face engagement interaction is because you can Mm -hmm. talk to people online all day, uh, but you still feel that emptiness in you because true connection comes from being able to stand across from someone and really take their whole presence in. So that's that's the piece. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 guess, uh, I, guess, I guess being able to see someone over video conference is kind of a middle, right? So it counts. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And then the other piece we have is a paid Facebook group community that we started about, uh, about a year ago. And so Facebook approached us. They realized that we were one of the most active communities out there, That's and true. they offered us a paid group. And so our paid group is $9.99 a month. It's got a one-week trial on top of it. And it's got a lot, it dives deeper into a lot of the content pieces that we speak to on a week to week basis within our group. So we talk about things like the hiring hierarchy, which is kind of my Maslow's hierarchy version of what every single company is looking for when they hire someone, Mm -hmm. all the way down to how you answer specific interview questions, to one-on-one coaching, to uh, even a seven-week comprehensive job search strategy. So I literally for almost every day, Monday through Friday for seven weeks, tell you what you need to do to get that next job from giving yourself self-care, which I think is something that a lot of people don't talk about, all the way out to figuring to mapping out the interview questions that you're going to get in an interview so that when you go to 
what that interview that you're at, you know what's coming at you, you have your answers scripted, and you've thought about it deeply enough that you're able to give a meaningful answer and hopefully get that job. Uh, and also I should mention one more thing, that if you're in our group, in our paid group, you get to go to all of our events in the Bay Area for free. So our Bay Area events are actually a lot more than $10 a month. So we're actually... Right in some sense, losing some money there, but we're hopefully gaining a greater community online. And I mean, I think also to that with the checklist, right? I think one thing I've noticed since I've become a working professional over the last decade is just how interviews have evolved. It used to be like, okay, you're going to come on campus, you're going to talk to like three people, and uh, and hopefully we'll make a decision after that. Now it's, you have your initial recruiter phone screen, followed by a conversation with a hiring manager, followed by a series of on-sites, followed by homework, followed by another series of on-sites with more senior executives and then you get to the offer stage and it's and it's kind of this like treacherous hiking experience where you need to be aware of things along the entire way and each of these individuals that you speak to along this journey they're looking for something specific they want to hear something specific for you from you that will help you get to the next step so actually in some sense for your audience that loves video games it's essentially become an rpg where (laughs) when you're able to beat each level of bosses, you know, you get to the next level and ultimately the final bosses, you know, where, where you get that offer letter and you got to negotiate. The, I mean, I feel like the negotiation and the offer letter stage is also its own, like, I guess, adventure on this RPG too, because you received a scroll from, you know, final boss, and now you're supposed to be able to decipher this scroll and be able to know, are you worth what they think you're worth? And is it a contract or a full-time role or what benefits are involved? And then being able to evaluate all of that on some kind of rubric to know like, okay, hopefully you have multiple offers and how do you compare one offer to the next? How do you suggest like building a sort of framework on figuring out whether this is a good offer, what you should be expecting? Yeah, so that's that's an interesting one. Uh, I've created uh, I've created my own spreadsheets in the past to compare offers with each other. When it comes down to it, I I look at several factors, and obviously your mileage is going to vary depending on who you are. But these include everything from do you get shares in the company. Will they IPO? Do you like the company culture? Do you like your boss? Do you like your colleagues? Is the commute favorable to you or unfavorable? Will there be an opportunity to work remotely? How well do you understand the technology that you're going to be working with? Is there an opportunity for growth and promotion? Is there an opportunity to travel? Is there an opportunity to go to a conference? All of these things. There's there's a lot of things. (laughs) But okay, wait, 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 hold on. How I generally teach it, like, we'll just do a quick summary is I'm like, okay, evaluate the company itself, whether they're financially stable, whether you can see companies surviving, right? And you need, that's a basis. This general company, how well it can deal with competitors within the industry. So that's doing quarters, five forces, whether you connect with the manager, whether they can support you. And then of course the role itself, whether it has growth, but that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is a lot of people are like, thank God I have one offer, (laughs) right? Like what if they don't have multiple offers, right? I specialize in helping non-technicals break into tech. So mm-hmm. non-tech salaries outside of the tech industry cannot compare to non-tech salaries inside the tech industry. So That's if true. this is your first step, like how do you begin to think about like, what am I worth? What is the market rate for this? There's no like glass door is there, but eh, I don't know about it. What do I do? And one way is talking to peers on Albert's list mm-hmm. and 
had knowing people who have done similar transitions and being able to know how that transition can work for them. Uh, number two is I think evaluating the type of work that you're eventually going to be doing. If you're a person who went from a non-tech job, you did a coding boot camp, and now you're able to code and you've gotten an offer, and you know that the going rate is like $110,000 for a new grad to do this work, but you're only getting 90, that's you know, an area where you have to point that out and be able to say, hey, can I have a little bit of a salary bump? You can negotiate things like probationary period where maybe they evaluate your ability to code in specific areas and then go from there. And so I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. And then I think if you're just literally going into tech for the very first time and you have that one offer, uh, that's your chance to be able to experiment and see, you know, is working in high tech, something that I'm able to do and capable of doing. Yeah. I also think there's no harm in asking for what you think, raise it, raise what you think market rate is by like 10, 20, 25%. And no one's going to rescind your offer because you asked for something too high. They're just going to be like, no, this is not negotiable. Or like, we can't give you that much. (laughs) Right. Like people are just so afraid to ask. Generally to add to that, well, from what you just said, it's pretty much Continue networking with people who have gone through similar transitions, work in similar roles, go ask them, join communities where people are very open and sharing. There's usually community salary open lists. I actually think if Albert's List can create one, that would be fabulous. I see some in like Alpha and Tech Ladies, which is basically a spreadsheet. It's completely anonymous. You put your role, your years of experience, your location, your like your salary and equity. And I think that's super helpful to everyone. Most women do it because of this underpay and glass ceiling. So, I mean, that actually would be a really great idea. But of course, we can talk about strategy, job hunting strategy, but that's not what we're here to do. Um, (laughs) Let's scroll back into just generally about, you can't mentioning that, you know, you're a millennial, that you were job hunting shortly after the 08 crisis. And we're looking at stocks tanking right now, <laughs> and we don't know what's going to happen in the next two years. And the last time we chatted, you were like, one, one month, we're going to be proven right that you know the market's going to crash. We can talk about tech trends, and we'll do that a bit later, but you kept mentioning you're a millennial. And Gen yes. Z, the first Gen Zs are now in the market. I also see a lot of consultants popping up about you know generational career they're not yeah. really like career consultants they're within the company to help companies navigate how to deal with different generations of employees. So right. have you seen things like that? Do you just out of your general gist of what's been going on with an Albert's list has, who's been experiencing problems? What problems are each generation experiencing? Cause I know that there's people that are 30 years into their career on Albert's list. I've seen it as well as a bunch of little new grads coming up. <laughs> Yeah, so I think so. I think the unique thing that we have these days is that for the very first time in our our modern history, we have five generations of workers who are in the workplace. Everyone from baby boomers all the way down to Gen Z, and I think that right, each of these have their each of these generations definitely have their own challenges when it comes to what they're trying to navigate in the workplace, both financially and professionally. So what I hear the most from baby boomers is oftentimes that either they don't have enough money to retire or they're facing facing ageism as they go into the workplace. Obviously, they're going to be a lot more expensive because they have the experience. And so being able to talk about what they do and who they are without giving away too much is an important key to being able to land that job in addition to networking. 
What do you mean by not giving away too much? Focusing on the relevant work that they've done over the years, as opposed to giving, uh, as opposed to sharing a whole a five, history, a whole history <laughs> is yes. going to be very key yeah. there. In addition to being able to network with your connections and being reaching out to people who you've worked with over the last several decades to get hired. Gen X is on that cusp where ageism is something that they're beginning to think about. They're trying, they're kind of squeezed in between baby boomers who just won't retire yet because they want to get into leadership roles and millennials who are chomping at the bit to get into the roles that Gen X has, has, has had, which is the middle management. Millennials, I would say our biggest challenge is being able to pay off student debt and being able to leverage all of our digital native experience and being able to have technology as something that's very natural for us into an area of work that will accept all of that experience and put us into that leadership role. I would say in addition to that, millennials are also looking for companies that have a lot of mission and purpose when it comes to what they're doing out there in the world and they want a specific set of benefits that will interest them and they want companies that do good. They're not looking for companies that invest in fossil fuels, for example. They want a company that is green, that is nature focused because they themselves align to those values and want to see those values matched. And then for Gen Z, I would say that they're coming into an economy that is pretty robust and has been robust for the last 10 years. And they're very entrepreneurial in the same way. And they're also very, they're also very mission driven. Uh, as we've seen with a, lot of, uh, with a lot of Gen Z individuals who have been involved in school shootings or they've now been much more politically involved because social media is something that they're very native to. They're taking that into the workplace and they're becoming very entrepreneurial as well and wanting to work in workplaces that move quickly. Right. The biggest, the most interesting thing is having all of these workplaces and all of these generations kind of mishmash together in one spot and be able to leverage the wisdom of baby boomers to the speed of millennials to the to the long term experience of Gen X and just see how all of those can work together to create a workplace that, that can help a company go to the next level. I just want to have an open discussion as I was thinking and listening to these answers and how different problems that maybe yeah. these multi-generations all face within the workplace or what they care about and mm -hmm. what they're looking for. But what about like opportunities for each different generation? What are the major opportunities that they can take advantage of in the economy, in tomorrow's world within the next 10 years or so? How do they position themselves? How do they find opportunities? And what should they be looking for in order to make the most impact in the next 10 years? And same thing with mm -hmm. all the other generations. And if you can't think of it, it's fine. Like I'm, I'm just speaking out loud <laughs> right now. This yeah, is a yeah. hard I, question. <laughs> I think that when it comes to what each generation can take advantage of, I really think about how the level, the playing field has been leveled. So number one is something that we've been hearing all this time, and that's the ability to gain new skills. So skills are the new differentiator. They've always been there. What, we've also, what I've also heard in going to industry conferences over the last couple of months is that it's not just hard skills like STEM skills, but also soft skills like your ability to communicate, negotiate and just have conversations with other people, something that's a lost art with all the digital technology that we have now. 
whether you're a Gen Z or a baby boomer who's looking to stay relevant for the next 10 years, it's going to depend, number one, on the kind of skills you have. And it doesn't have to necessarily be those super technical skills. It's just knowing how those technical skills or soft skills translate into the work that you want to do and being able to communicate that value up into whatever job or company that you want to work at. I think number two is being able to network. Obviously, with the volatility that we've experienced over the last month, as time of this recording where coronavirus seems to be on everybody's mind, your ability to network, your ability to know who it is that is a decision maker at a company is crucially important. We've all heard the adage, it's not who you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And as I was going to say that, it's not who you know or what you know, but rather who knows you. And so your ability to build that network, build your personal brand and be present to people and be able to give to people whatever value that you have is going to be really important. And I know I hear from new graduates all the time, you know, that they're new graduates and what value do they have to offer? And in reality, it's the insight that they have to bring from their days of schooling, from their ability to observe the market, from their access to as much more information than we've ever had at any point in human history that allows them to bring that new insight. I think that actually, that actually goes into my third piece, which is the access to all of this technology and resource is something that everyone has now. So like it's easier than ever to start a business. I think you yourself are a great product of this because not only do you have a business, but you've also found a way to be nomadic where you're able to travel anywhere around the world. And as long as you have an internet connection, you have access to the software that's free. You have access to social networks. You can broadcast what it is that you're doing, whether you're selling a product on an e-commerce site and you can drop ship it to someone without actually owning any warehouse space. You can coach somebody on their job search all the way from wherever you might be. And starting a Facebook page is free. Starting a website and getting hosting is very, very cheap at this point. You know, everything that you have with your mobile apps, from texting apps to email messenger, email and messenger apps, all of that stuff is just so readily available. And all it just takes is somebody to have some ingenuity, some interest, and some innovation in their, in their blood to be able to go and start that. Uh, and so, yeah, with these three things, your network, your skills, and just a thirst for knowledge and a thirst to be hungry about what it is you want to do forward is going to separate the people who are successful this decade from the people who are wondering what happened this decade. For sure. Like keeping up with what is happening when you mentioned observing the market and seeing where it's going and being able to take advantage of opportunities that do come, keeping your eyes out and heart open Mm -hmm. to all these things. I'd also like to tack on, you mentioned that it's a leveled playing field now because mm-hmm. things are changing so fast that skills, mm-hmm. hard skills that were relevant maybe 10 years ago are completely not, right? Everyone has to keep on relearning and learning new things. So mm-hmm. Gen Z are not that much behind in terms of hard skills than yeah. many other people. So it really depends on how well you're able to keep up on building your network building those soft skills. And so, yeah, knowing where to find that, even the skills part is really cool too, because so, you know, we all know that like lynda.com, Udemy, right? Udemy sells courses for $10 all the time because there's a holiday every week for them. Lynda, all you have to do is go to your 
local library and get a library card and you get access to lynda.com, which is LinkedIn's learning platform for completely free. Job seekers, no matter where you are, whether you graduated yesterday or you graduated 30 years ago, there is no excuse to say, oh, I didn't know anymore. You should know. And it's right there in front of your eyes. And it behooves everyone to take advantage of what is in front of them and know what they want. And once they know what they want, go at it hard because success is theirs for the taking. Yep. Awesome. This was a great discussion. Turning the wheels again back to on track. We just keep going off on tangents and these are all just so interesting. Maybe there's a lot to talk about. We deeper dives on a lot of these topics because we can do a whole podcast on yeah. opportunity, which I talk oh, yeah. about in my last podcast on my solo episode because I talk about different ways for anyone to grow their career and it's mm -hmm. entrepreneurial, intrapreneurial personal brand or working abroad. So let's just say mm -hmm. that you're a content marketer. As a content marketer, you can, if you're bored with what you're doing or you're like, oh no, what do I do? How do I stay relevant? Well, one, you can go entrepreneurial. You can, be, you can start a content marketing agency. You can start teaching yep. people how to do content marketing. You can just become a freelancer. You can mm -hmm. focus on one part of content marketing and start automating it. So there's, there's so many things yeah. in that aspect. There's entrepreneurial, which is, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, but everyone knows in order to be a CMO, you can't just know content marketing. So now no. it's time to expand your marketing tool set and start moving up. That like, you know, Gen X and baby boomers were known to be, I guess, title chasers where it's like, oh, I want to be CEO or I want to be CMO, CTO, CIO, CFO someday. I think for younger generations, it's chasing the meaning of work because we all know that we can be our own CEO instantly if we wanted to be. Nobody, we don't have to wait for anybody to validate us. We can validate ourselves. It is about scale too. That's what yeah. entrepreneurial, right? That's what you mean is yeah. that we don't care whether our title CMO or like chief happiness officer, right? It's yeah. about how many yeah. people you touch. And that's one of the benefits of mm -hmm. leveraging a company scale and impact and then really helping a company yeah. touch even more people and more audiences. Moving on to, you know, personal brand, you can become a speaker, you can take yeah. on consulting clients whilst being mm -hmm. an entrepreneur or entrepreneur. And finally, you can work abroad. You can go somewhere else, target different audiences, handle different cultures, no matter what you're doing. So, so many ways, yeah. and that's all available to many different people. It's all and about so how you're able to communicate your value. Absolutely. And I think that's why no matter where you are, recessions are going to happen. Economic downturns like this week, where the stock market was down 4,000 points are yeah, going to happen. <laughs> and we're all going to cry that our 401k <laughs> is lost. And yes, they can take away your money from you, but they can't take away the networks and the relationships you've built. They can't take away your skills. And because they can't take away any of those things, even if the market tanks for a couple of months, you can hold your head high that you'll survive and you'll be just fine because you know what you have in your own arsenal. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of like recessions coming. So I was listening to this podcast. I forgot which podcast it was, but mm -hmm. this factory in China was able to predict that Trump was going to beat Clinton, Hillary Clinton in the election in 2016 because they were printing and creating more Trump flags than they were Hillary Clinton flags. So from that aspect, based on just the scale of people and what they were touching, I think mm -hmm. by managing your community of 40,000, 45,000, 
people? 40, almost 42,000. Almost 42,000 <laughs> job searchers, as well as people supporting this community, as you said, the four personas. What mm -hmm. do you think we can expect from the talent market, from the employment reports around 2020? What can we predict around what's going to happen this year? Yeah, uh, that's a really great question because we've had 10 years of growth running up to where we're at now. And people are wondering when the market is going to hit some kind of brick wall. And I mean, really, it just looks like based on what we have out there that that brick wall is not really coming anytime soon. Uh, I know that going back to going back more than 10 years, looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistics report, one area that has consistently grown over the last 10 years is healthcare because baby boomers keep turning 65 and they're going to need all this healthcare for the next 20 years. So that's definitely a safe bet. Tech, I would say, is also a safe bet, even though within, our, within the industry there is continued volatility. We've seen almost 10 to 12,000 layoffs from tech companies in the last couple of months alone. Uh, but there are also, at the same time, numerous companies getting more funding. It's being able to play those musical chairs in the right way and work on that timing in the right way as well, where you're able to jump from one company to another without losing a, skipping a beat. I think when it comes to where the economy is going in general, lower taxes, lower interest rates, create an environment where people are willing to take those risks to be able to form their companies and form their businesses to be able to hire more people. And on Albert's list, I mean, the jobs just keep coming in every day. I haven't done a specific count on how many jobs, but as long as I think people keep posting jobs Monday through Friday, I feel like the economy is in a fairly decent place. <laughs> awesome. And what, what's next for Albert's list? Uh, well, you know, I think uh, I think we're going to go into creating some conferences that focus on the more senior level visionary talent and find ways for them to be a lot more visible in their organizations and in their industries. Uh, from an events perspective, I'm always looking to create interesting and engaging events that really take a look and take on job search challenges very aggressively. So here in the next month, we're going to have an event on how people can find how much they're worth. And then in April, we're going to have another event where you have an opportunity to speak to a lawyer and get common employment questions answered. Wow. Um, yeah. And so all of these are opportunities for members of our job community and also individuals in the public at large to really come and engage with us and get offline in addition to really going online and making sure that they understand what's at stake in this in the world out there. Because as much as we wish we could have the good old days back and we could all just pound the pavement and go door to door and hand off resumes and get a job within one afternoon. It's unfortunately not that way anymore. Cool. Well, thank you so much for all this. You have created such a community that's definitely the go-to place for anyone that wants to find a job in the Bay Area. How can people find you? Yeah, in the Bay Area, they can go to ajobslist.com or they can go to Albert's Job Listings and Referrals, San Francisco Bay Area. And we have a really nice bit.ly link for this uh, that we've been using for the last couple of years now. bit.ly slash findyournextjob, all one word. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, we'll let you in and you can explore all the opportunities out there for you. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Albert. This has been really great. Yeah, no worries. This was fun. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for having me on again.